This hearing of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee will come to order. To speak about ending the scourge of HIV-AIDS is to speak of a miracle. When the President's emergency plan for AIDS relief was established in 2003, for most people around the world, an HIV-AIDS diagnosis was a death sentence. But 20 years later, through the generosity of the American people and one of the most successful foreign assistance programs in history, we have changed the course of human history. We have given millions of people access to life-saving treatment, and today's hearing comes at a critical time as we prepare to reauthorize the President's Emergency Plan for AIDS Relief, or PEPFAR as it is known. This next five years will determine whether we meet the goal of ending the global HIV-AIDS epidemic by 2030. We must not take our foot off the accelerator if we hope to be successful. So I'd like to thank our witnesses, Dr. John Kingasong, Sir John, and Professor Mark Dybul for appearing before us today. I look forward to your frank assessment of the state of HIV AIDS epidemic, your thoughts on what the United States and our partners in the international community can do to achieve the goal of ending this epidemic by 2030 because, as you know, major challenges still remain. It is not just that COVID-19 slowed access to HIV services. New infections are not declining as fast as we would like. There are more and more cases among Africa's surging young populations, uh, with young women and adolescent girls twice as likely to be affected, uh, infected, I should say, as young men. And children, the most vulnerable population, continue to be at the highest risk. According to UNAIDS, at the end of 2021, 76% of adults living with HIV were assessing treatment compared to only 52% of children. We've also seen a disturbing trend towards criminalizing key high-risk populations, like Uganda's recently approved Anti-Homosexuality Act of 2023. These laws drive vulnerable communities underground keeping them from accessing testing, prevention technologies, and essential medicines, all of which increases the number of infections and undermines years of investment. We cannot eradicate this epidemic if we leave communities behind, nor can we sustain the progress that has already been made unless our partners fulfill their commitments. During the Abuja Summit in 2001, African leaders pledged 15% of their budgets for help. Today, only three countries are honoring that commitment. Of course, while we cannot achieve our goals without support from heads of state and PEPFAR countries, the United States must continue to show leadership at this crucial time. Our country has not overcome our greatest challenges by taking them on half-heartedly. So when it comes to defeating one of the most devastating epidemics we've ever seen, we need to make sure our investments in PEPFAR have the greatest impact possible. That means ensuring that PEPFAR activities strategically strengthen health systems to improve overall health security, including at the community level. It means doubling down on building secure supply chains, on training health workers, on building lab capacity, and on the ability of partner countries to prevent, detect, and respond to infectious diseases, especially those with pandemic potential. It also means tailoring our investments to reflect partner nations' priorities. If we do this right, we not only lower costs and improve efficiencies in health systems across the board, 
We can end the AIDS epidemic as a public health threat by 2030. The gains we've already seen speak for themselves. 25 million lives have been saved. 5.5 million babies have been born HIV-free in over 50 countries. And more than 20 million people are on antiretroviral treatment. Since 2004, we've reduced the number of people being infected with HIV-AIDS across PEPFAR countries by 52%. PEPFAR has achieved far more beyond the disease itself than any one of us could have envisioned. We've seen declines in mortality, improvements in mater uh, maternal and child health, more girls and boys staying in school, and more than 2% GDP gains in PEPFAR-supported countries. The initiative is a testament to what the Congress and the executive branch can do, and we agreed to lead collective action to address global challenges. Today, as we stand on the brink of an even greater achievement, the end of the epidemic, we cannot and should not turn back. Success is within our grasp. So I look forward to hearing from our witnesses about how we cross the finish line. It is the chair's intention to get this legislation reauthorized. Uh, we look forward to working with the ranking member uh, on this. And with that, we turn to the ranking member for his opening statement. Uh, thank you very much, Mr. Chairman. Uh, despite which party controls Congress and the White House, over the last 20 years, the bipartisan coalition that supports PEPFAR remains strong. Uh, that's because the basic principles of effective resourcefulness, transparency, accountability, and results were part of PEPFAR's DNA from the very beginning. Also, through PEPFAR, we have helped transform health systems and build foundations for broader health security, including uh, for pandemic preparedness. But more than anything, I believe support for PEPFAR remains strong because its success is measured in lives saved, and we've saved millions of lives. PEPFAR clearly is a model. That's why it served as the model for my recently enacted Global Health Security and International Pandemic Prevention, Preparedness, and Response Act. But it's also an undeniable expression of the values and interests that make us uniquely American. This is a legacy which we can all be proud of. So I urge my colleagues to join me in working to reauthorize PEPFAR without delay and without new mandates and directives. As our witnesses, I'm sure, will testify, the coordinator uh, already has the authorities required to ensure PEPFAR remains fit for uh, purpose while preserving core U.S. values and advancing, advancing long-standing sustainability and self-reliance. This includes authority to direct funds uh, set aside for orphans and vulnerable children towards supporting adolescent girls who are the most vulnerable to new infections, as well as for closing gaps in pediatric treatment. It also includes authority to ensure that PEPFAR-supported maternal and child health activities deliver results by preventing mother-to-child transmission. The requirement to devote not less than half of the budget toward life-saving treatment and care must be preserved, which is all the more appropriate now the treatment has become a proven form of prevention. Finally, we must extend the 33% cap on U.S. contributions to the global health fight to AIDS, tuberculosis, and malaria, which was put in place to ensure other donors were generously providing their fair share rather than expecting the United States to do it all. It also includes other withholding requirements relating to transparency and accountability at the fund. This is a reauthorization, and we do not need to recreate the wheel. 
Also, we don't need to incorporate new directives relating to sustainability. We already did that back in 2013. But let's not bog down the process by wordsmithing what already exists. This program is too important for that. Instead, let's advance a clean reauthorization and get on with the business of rigorous oversight, including close scrutiny of PEPFAR's local implementing partners. I hope we can all agree and commit to advancing a timely, clean reauthorization of this values-based, life-saving program. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. And I, Mr. Chairman, I'd like to include for the record a statement uh, from the George W. Bush Institute. Without objection, and thank you for your statement. So let us turn to our first panel. With us on behalf of the administration is Dr. John Kinglesong, who serves as the U.S. Global AIDS Coordinator and Special Representative for Global Health Diplomacy. <coughs> In his role, Dr. Kinglesong leads, manages, and oversees the U.S. President's Emergency Plan for AIDS Relief, where he works to prevent millions of HIV infections, save lives, and make progress towards ending the HIV-AIDS pandemic. Prior to this role, Dr. Kingasong was appointed as the first director of the Africa Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. During his tenure, he was also appointed as one of the World Health Organization's special envoys on COVID-19 preparedness and response. He has also served in the Division of Global HIV and Tuberculosis at the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. It was good to join you in Africa in February, Dr. Kingasong, where we saw firsthand some of the work that we are doing. So we welcome you to the committee and please proceed with your testimony. Thank you, Chairman Menendez, Ranking Member Rich, and other distinguished committee members. I'm deeply honored to appear before the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, which has provided visionary leadership for PEPFAR since its inception in 2003. In the past 20 years, PEPFAR has saved 25 million lives. PEPFAR has strengthened health systems, and PEPFAR has changed the course of HIV-AIDS pandemic. The American people should be proud of these remarkable achievements as they are their achievements. We all know that these gains are fragile, and without continued leadership of this Congress, we risk reversing the gains with a resurgence of the HIV-AIDS pandemic. Back in 2003, HIV-AIDS was a death sentence, and for, for instance, in Africa, average life expectancy had dropped significantly by 35 years in Zimbabwe, 12 years in South Africa. This year, we are celebrating the 20th anniversary of PEPFAR, and it has been, without doubt, the greatest act of humanity in the history of fighting infectious diseases. Thanks to the generosity of the American people. PEPFAR's investments are supporting over 20 million people on life-saving treatments and have prevented HIV infections in 5.5 million babies. PEPFAR has also played a key role in transforming societies. For, for example, in PEPFAR-supported countries, GDP per capita has grown two percentage points faster and girls and boys are nine percentage points more likely to be in school. The previously unthinkable goal of ending HIV-AIDS as a public health threat is now within our grasp, all due to the unwavering commitment of the members of this committee and the bipartisan, bicameral support of 10 congresses and four administrations. Our focus is on the goal of ending HIV-AIDS pandemic by 2030 
On December 1st, World AIDS Day, we release a five-year strategy that provides a plan for how to get there, and I want to share a few highlights. One key area of focus is health equity. There are still 1.5 million new HIV infections globally and over 650,000 AIDS-related deaths each year. A disproportionate number of these are in three categories, adolescent girls and young women, children, and five key populations. We must continue to know our gaps and close our gaps. To lead with data and follow the science, we must align our programs to locations and populations where HIV AIDS is the most concentrated. We will work with affected communities, partner governments, the private sector, and civil society partners to ensure the dignity of all people. Another key area of focus is sustaining the response. HIV is a lifelong disease, and our partner countries will be responsible for supporting millions of people on treatment for the remainders of their lives. For the first time in PEPFAS history, I had the honor of addressing a special session of 33 heads of states at the African Union Summit in February. That session resulted in a declaration that the head of states will host a dedicated summit later this year to develop a roadmap of action and investment to 2030. As PEPFAR, we work hand-in-hand -hand with partner country governments to advance these commitments. Mr. Chairman and all members of this distinguished committee, what once was unimaginable is now very possible. That is ending HIV-AIDS as a public health threat by the year 2030. Yet our gains are incredibly fragile. If a person living with HIV does not have access to medication for just three weeks, their viral load will increase and they will be at risk for transmission and developing AIDS. With your leadership, we can protect our gains and reach the 2030 goals. That is why I look forward to working with this committee to reauthorize PEPFA. Thank you for the ongoing support for PEPFA's work, and I look forward to your questions. Well, thank you, Dr. King Song. Um, Maybe you could uh, uh, do a little seminar for your colleagues at the Department of State. You didn't use your full five minutes, so uh, it's welcome to that. You gave us some time back. So uh, let me uh, start off, uh, uh, we'll start off a round of five-minute questions. And let me just say for the record, there are a series of our colleagues who are very interested in the subject matter, but unfortunately there is a hearing at the same time before the Foreign Operations Appropriations Committee with Samantha Power. And so uh, both uh, the chairman, Senator Coons, and Senators uh, Shaheen Murphy and Chats, um, uh, Schatz uh, have all of uh, their members there. So uh, I just want uh, to express that they're very interested in reauthorization and uh, could not be here because of that conflict. Uh, Ambassador, our respective staffs have engaged as we work towards reauthorization. I understand your office has provided data related to the earmarks on care and treatment and orphans and vulnerable children that uh, already currently reside in the PEPFAR statute. Uh, can you say uh, with 100% certainty that in the next five years, you will not need a, to pursue a waiver for earmarks currently in law through the appropriations process? And if you're not 100% sure, what steps do we need to take to the reauthorization process to ensure you have the tools and the flexibility that you need. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, 
chairman, I'm absolutely certain that in five years will not be any additional authority. Uh, the current authority that we have has enabled us to get this far. And we is, your, is your microphone on? I'm sorry. Oh, excuse me. Yeah. Mr. Chairman, I, I can absolutely state that uh, we do not need any additional authority. The current authority that we have uh, will enable us to continue to respond appropriately as we've done over the last uh, 20 years. Okay. So can I have your commitment that our staffs can meet uh, within the next week to discuss further the data that you provided to the committee? which has led to the conclusion that earmarks won't need to be adjusted before 2028. We would certainly continue to work with your staff as we've done uh, previously, Mr. Chairman. Now, one of the issues your office has identified as a challenge to ending AIDS by 2030 is that PEPFAR needs to reach the vulnerable 24 to 35 year old cohort. Young women and adolescent girls in sub-Saharan Africa remain disproportionately vulnerable to infection. If we do not break that cycle, I fear that the decline in new infection rates will continue to slow and may stagnate, preventing countries from reaching epidemic control. The DREAMS program, Determined, Resilient, Empowered, Age-Free, Mentored, and Safe, targets young women ages 15 to 24 and has proven quite effective in providing young women with the tools to prevent infection. So my question is, how are you reaching women aged 24 to 35 with targeted interventions to reduce their vulnerability? What about men in that age cohort? Thank you, Mr. Chairman. As you really said, that <clears throat> the age group 24 to 35 is uh, extremely concerning, especially adolescent girls and young women. Uh, statistics from UNAIDS indicate that Adolescent girls and young women in that age group are 14 times more vulnerable than the corresponding uh, uh, males in that category. So we have uh, continued to develop a comp comprehensive prevention program that includes the DREAMS that program you just mentioned, but also very importantly, continue to expand and scale up uh, a PrEP, which is the pre-exposure prophylaxis, which we believe that this uh, interventions and will, as a basket or a collective of all the interventions is what is required in this age group. Mm -hmm. Given the youth bulge in Africa and the decline in new infections, what might PEPFAR need to do differently, if anything, to ensure that we meet the 2030 targets? I believe, uh, Mr. Chairman, that we have to, as we at ESGA are promoting, to really scale up awareness campaigns in the youth population. If you recall, as we've all said in this uh, session, that 20 years ago, the young people that we are seeing now didn't see the ugly face of HIV AIDS across the board, regardless of whether they're males or females. Now we see that young age are sexually active, and we need to create a movement, an initiative that will create awareness and make sure that this young age understands that HIV AIDS is not over that uh, the fact that they are not seeing it every day, they don't see people lying in hospitals, but means that it's over, it's far from over. Mm -hmm. Finally, at the International AIDS Conference in 2022, participants launched a new global alliance to end AIDS in children by 2030. 
12 African countries committed to integrate pediatric treatment into their national HIV AIDS plans in the wake of the conference, a laudable goal given that 52% of HIV positive children worldwide aged zero to 14 years were on treatment compared to 76% of HIV positive adults. Children account for 15% of all AIDS related deaths despite making up 4% of total HIV positive cases. What are the obstacles to reaching children with treatment and how do you plan to address them? And how are you as the global AIDS coordinator working with African leaders to support them in honoring their commitments, including ending AIDS in children by 2030? Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, the issue of HIV uh, infections in children uh, is critical. And if you, uh, as I stated in my uh, statement, is the top priority, one of the three key areas that or priority populations that we are engaged in, which is the children, adolescent girls, and young women, and, and key populations. Uh, PEPFAR is completely committed and aligned with uh, UNAIDS and Global Fund in the alliance you just mentioned. After the AIDS conference in Montreal, an initiative was launched in Tanzania just recently in February where uh, we are all committed to ending uh, to fighting HIV AIDS in, in children. There are several obstacles that that, age group, that particular population segment faces. Uh, ability to access diagnostics, point of care diagnostics, finding those children in, in communities, and issues of stigmatization. So we'd have to work collectively with partner countries, with our uh, global fund colleagues, and UNAIDS, of course, with WHO, uh, to continue to advance that. But it's a critical priority, an area of inequities that uh, a new strategy highlights clearly. Uh, as to what we are doing with engagement with the partner countries, as I just indicated in my statement, that is a top priority for me personally. I was on the continent of Africa in February, and um, actually for the first time addressed uh, 33 head of states and asked for their commitment to the Abuja Declaration, as well as to recommitting uh, their political will and domestic resources to financing HIV AIDS. A special summit is planned for October this year, and we are working with UNAIDS and, of course, the African Union to host that summit, which will focus uniquely on a roadmap to get into 2030, what political commitment, domestic financing, and programming are required to partner with us to get us there. We look forward to that conference. Senator Rich. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, Ambassador, we have before us uh, a uh, reauthorization, which is not uncommon in these legislative halls. And uh, what we're talking about here, hopefully, is uh, we use the word clean, a clean reauthorization. It's a legislative term of art, uh, cleans in air quotes, I guess. Um, what, what, what's your position on that? And th the reason I raise this is uh, frequently when we do reauthorizations, uh, people uh, strive to make something better, but sometimes uh, cause a lot more grief uh, as they try to make it better. Are you satisfied with what would be a clean reauthorization here? And that is, reauthorizing what we have in front of us. Are you satisfied with that? Senator, I'm very satisfied with that. As I indicated earlier, uh, I have the authorities in the current format to continue to advance our uh, programming. It is what has brought us this far. 
uh, to saving 25 million lives, preventing 5.5 million uh, children born free of HIV AIDS, and strengthening uh, health systems that are being used, uh, currently used in sustaining the gains in HIV AIDS, but also positioning it to fight other uh, infectious uh, diseases such as Ebola and COVID as we saw. So I, I'm very convinced that I do have the authority that is uh, uh, necessary in the current format of uh, the PEPFA law. Well, I share that view and I hope uh, others do so that we can move it uh, rapidly through and not get hung up. We, we get high centered once in a while when we try to uh, uh, re reinvent the wheel. Um, I don't want to get too far in the weeds here, but uh, we're, we're told the administration has decided to give you some additional responsibilities for global health security, but place the additional resources for uh, global health security at USAID. C can you speak to this, uh, this issue at all? Thank you, <clears throat> uh, Senator. As you know, in December of last year, Secretary Blinken um, announced the, ex the establishment of uh, a new bureau, the G Bureau of Global Health Security and Diplomacy uh, within the State Department, which uh, will be uh, headed by myself. And I, I believe it's a very exciting moment because it offers a unique opportunity for us to coordinate uh, global health security efforts, to leverage our assets across USG, and continue to lead with diplomacy uh, across, across the board. And those are elements that I believe are so critical for protecting ourselves and protecting the world as we see and will continue to fight emerging infectious diseases, uh, including the current pandemic. Uh, in doing so, the goal is to consolidate PEPFAR and, of course, health security into one bureau that I believe will create more efficiencies uh, underneath one, one roof and under my leadership. So I'm looking forward to uh, when that the Bureau will be fully uh, launched. You're, you're satisfied that uh, you can overcome any of the challenges uh, about this dichotomy with uh, responsibility for execution versus responsibilities? Senator, I think we'll continue to work with, across the agencies. I think the only way to make the Bureau as successful as it's intended is to work in unison across the department and across the agencies. I think that's the whole intent, to increase efficiencies uh, uh, and coordination within our global health security space. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you. Senator Kane. Thank you, Mr. Chair and Dr. Kangasung. Thank you for your long, uh, passionate service in this area. I want to ask some questions about Latin America, where trends are not going in a positive direction. So. Between 2010 and 2021, um, the number of new infections in Latin America increased by about 5%. And that was at the same time as global infections were dropping by 32%. And even in the Caribbean, nearby um, infections were dropping 28%. Um, in May, about a year ago, uh, during a visit to Panama, the First Lady announced some significant additional funding from PEPFAR to Latin America, including direct funding to Panama. But I wanted to ask you just um, how can PEPFAR prioritize its engagement in Latin American countries to try to deal with this uh, trend that's going in the wrong direction? Thank you, Senator. Any trends in HIV, new infections that 
are headed in the new in a different direction is really concerning because it will not um, it will be continue to be a challenge for us to get to our 2030 goals, which we see uh, differences in countries that have prioritized HIV response and where resources, especially PEPFAR resources and assets have been uh, applied to, that those tendencies are, are, are in the right direction. At that times, are really uh, speeding towards the 2030 goals. We currently are investing $80 million uh, per year in supporting regional programs in uh, uh, um, the Western Hemisphere. That is excluding Haiti, which uh, has a budget envelope of about $100 million uh, a year. Uh, we just had a regional meeting in that region uh, just uh, a few weeks ago, where we brought all countries together to strategically develop uh, plans to continue to fight HIV AIDS in, in the region. I think we also want to be sure that uh, it continues to be at the, the fore of the political agenda in the region. I really hope that in the coming months, I should be able to go to the region and continue to maintain that political momentum, which I believe is so critical uh, in elevating the issue. Because as I said earlier, uh, Senator, uh, the HIV AIDS phase, ugly phase, has uh, disappeared thanks to our efforts. I call that being vulnerable to our own success, and we have to continuously elevate that issue to the political leadership so that um, it, becomes, it remains visible. We will continue to work with 11 countries in the region as, as equally as we are working in other regions of, of the world. Excellent. Well, I would, I would encourage you in that. And I think one of the challenges in Latin America has been um, political instability, COVID, economic challenges that, that push migrating populations. So folks who are you know, disproportionately likely to um, uh, have HIV AIDS are also pushed because of factors to move country to country. So it's a little bit harder sometimes to deal with migrating populations, but I would encourage you in that way. And the second thing I want to ask really, my last question is just for folks following this from the 20th anniversary. We think of PEPFAR as a very uh, successful strategy to deal with HIV AIDS, but it also involved the dramatic um, investments and improvements in the public health infrastructure in many of these countries that have benefits far beyond just in the HIV AIDS space. When you build up a public health infrastructure, you're better able to deal with COVID, you're better able to deal with other conditions. Talk a little bit about how PEPFAR's investment in public health infrastructure has had benefits even beyond HIV AIDS. Thank you, Senator, for that uh, question. I, I usually refer to uh, when I look back at PEPFAR 20 years ago, um, the biblical Lazarus effect uh, reminds me, and, and that is true for life safe, but it's also true for health systems that have been improved in countries that we have um, uh, worked in and supported. We currently have supported over 3,000 laboratories across PEPFAR's partner countries, supported over 340,000 healthcare workers, invested in over 70,000 health uh, uh, facilities, which are really, and several networks and supply chain systems, which are currently being used in advancing our goal to ending HIV AIDS by the year 2030, but in addition, enabling us to fight other emerging infectious diseases, which are occurring, unfortunately, very frequently. The Ebola outbreak in DRC in my previous uh, uh, live at the African Union, Africa Centers for Disease Control as a director, 
uh, went to DRC almost twice a year. And uh, it is fair to say that a lot of uh, infrastructure that we put in place has been very handy there. Massive cholera outbreaks, uh, Ebola outbreak recently in Uganda benefited a lot from the infrastructure that we've put in place, and COVID. Uh, we, the prep for infrastructure was very critical early on in advancing testing for COVID in Africa, expanding vaccination, uh, uh, COVID vaccinations, and infection control prevention measures. Uh, so that effect is there, which has completely transformed public health systems in, in several countries. Well, I appreciate you describing that. Clearly, the reauthorization is very, very important to get to the global goal about eradication of HIV-AIDS by 2030 as a public health crisis, but the additional benefits that we gain by investing in this public health infrastructure are virtually incalculable, and I think that this is why this program has been so successful and so supported in a bipartisan way. I yield back, Mr. Chair. Thank you. Senator Booker. Uh, thank you very much, Chairman, and I want to thank our witness for his extraordinary leadership uh, for many, many years. I want to just start uh, by, uh, I, I think it's really something that's good. I strongly support this idea that the established PEPFAR infrastructure was so critical during the COVID pandemic in helping uh, to meet a lot of the challenges. There have been concerns, though, expressed about the potential that uh, this approach has to the integrity of the HIV and AIDS efforts. Um, so from where you sit, what have been the benefits of using PEPFAR infrastructure for strengthening overall health infrastructure, and has it negatively impacted the mission around HIV and AIDS care and related services? And I say that understanding that more and more we're seeing comorbidities associated with the deaths, but I'm curious uh, from your perspective, what are you seeing? Thank you, Senator, for that um, question. The way I would describe it is that uh, we need to continuously support health systems, which is really workforce, laboratory systems, supply chain management that are required primarily to, in supporting the goal of ending HIV AIDS as, as a threat, a public health threat by the year 2030. Again, just repeating some numbers, we still have a, a big HIV AIDS pandemic uh, issue with 1.5 million new infections occurring every year and 650,000 deaths a year. Of that number, about 425,000 deaths occurred in Africa. So the pandemic is not over. So by continuously investing in those health systems to advance our goal to get to 2030, we very directly or indirectly provide a platform for, for, for responding to other uh, uh, emerging infections without deviating from our core uh, uh, mission, which is to fight HIV AIDS. There is a, a disconnect right now. There, children make up 4% roughly of the global AIDS cases. They make up about 15% of the people that are dying globally from HIV AIDS. And um, I'm wondering where you think, and I know the mission by 2030 there's been a lot of resources focusing on this dis disproportionate levels of death. I'm wondering uh, um, what do you see right now as the gaps to addressing issues with children, to addressing issues with mother-child transmission and more? Thank you, Senator. We, as I stated earlier, uh, this is a, a top priority in our five, the next five-year strategic plan, which we release on uh, December 1st. Um, children, Adolescent girls and young women and keep up the five key populations are um, a top priority. 
we were very intentional in elevating uh, our attention to children because of the gaps you just um, outlined. The mantra there is knowing our gaps and addressing our gaps using science. So there are a couple of things that we uh, have done in the past. As I indicated, 5.5 million children have been born free of HIV AIDS. So we've made progress. In 15 countries, we've seen remarkable reductions in, in uh, pediatric HIV AIDS, including Botswana, where uh, if you recall, Botswana had one of the largest burden of HIV in terms of the prevalence of the disease, about 30% of the population. Botswana is very close to uh, uh, eliminating uh, pediatric HIV AIDS. But there's a lot of work that needs to be done. As you rightly said, there are a lot of inequities there in terms of uh, bringing in those children, identifying the children, bringing them to treatment, and making sure that their virus, uh, viral load is, sup is suppressed. So there are a couple of things that we believe we must uh, do. Increase the testing, develop new tests, especially the point-of-care tests that will identify uh, the children early and then link them up to treatment. St issues of stigmatization, make sure that we have uh, very aggressive campaigns that continue to make sure that we identify these, these women in the community. And of course, community mobilization, because the children are in the communities. If we are not finding them, they are in the community. So that is why we are very proud to be part of the alliance that was launched in Montreal at the AIDS conference, and also recently in Tanzania by, uh, uh, through a combination of UNAIDS, Global Fund, WHO, and of course, um, member states in, in Africa. That is an alliance that we are committed to uh, because of the unique nature of HIV AIDS in children. Um, my, my time is running out. I, I want to point out two issues and then maybe hope we, we can follow up with them. Um, one is the, the significant uh, connection between violence and sexual violence against women, um, uh, child marriages, and the spread of HIV AIDS uh, to women. It has me deeply concerned. And, and then the other, and, and the chairman mentioned this, but I, I want to just re-highlight it. The Ugandan government's passage of legislation that criminalizes the LGBTQ uh, community is really, really um, concerning. Um, you know, if, if this bill is signed, the bill's implications on PEPFAR funding and programs in Uganda, given the bill's broad criminalizations of activities that encourage or absorb, observe, quote unquote, the normalization of LGBTQ issues. Um, this is, it can actually affect our operations and just the distribution and the work that we do, uh, given that criminalization. So I, I'd love to follow up with you about the strategies, both on uh, what we're seeing in some places is high levels of violence against women, and I'd love to hear your thoughts. Um, I'm the subcommittee chair of, uh, of Africa and Global Health um, and really want to find ways that this committee could perhaps address a lot of these other issues uh, that are underlying the spread of HIV and AIDS. Um, and, it, it, you know, the great thing about this, and I just want to say this, is that this is in a bipartisan issue in my conversations with colleagues on both sides of the aisle on this committee. There's a lot of hope for more that we could be doing besides just... Um, uh, uh, the funding, but I do want to agree with both the chairman and the ranking member. Getting a clean reauthorization uh, is is really, I think, something that is urgent, um, uh, given the light of the progress we've made, but the challenges that we still have. Mr. Chairman, thank you. 
Uh, Ambassador, just one final, since we have you here, and uh, I hope to have only just this hearing. Uh, I, I hear the chorus on a clean reauthorization. I get it. I've been around here long enough to know that we don't need to complicate our lives. But it would be a crime that if we know that there is something that we can do today that we did not when we envisioned this program originally or through its reauthorizations, that we did not do it in the search for a clean reauthorization. So can you tell me, for example, I'm thinking about PrEP, uh, can you tell me that you have the authority to be able to adjust to whatever is discovered and or uh, whether it be in terms of a, a medicine, a vaccination, a cure, uh, a procedure, that you have the wherewithal to be able to adjust so that we can take advantage of that? Let me state, uh, Senator, very clearly that I'm certain, definitely, that we have the authorities to do that. We currently, as PREPA, we have supported over 1.4 million PREP, and we hope to continue to use the current authority in advancing that, especially in the light of uh, new fire, uh, molecules or new interventions, like the long-acting PREP that uh, you and I discussed when we were in, in South Africa, the Cordell visit, that we have the right authority to scaling that up. It's, uh, it's exactly built on the backbone of what we have been doing already that will be able to expand such in interventions. Okay. Then two last questions. Uh, in response to a request that I made, the Government Accountability Office issued a report entitled The President's Emergency Plan for AIDS Relief. Uh, state has taken actions to address coordination challenges, but staffing challenges persist. The report indicated that PEPFOR has neither identified nor addressed underlying causes of persistent workload and retention issues at the Department of State. Specifically noted that 70% of the positions at the Office of Global Health, uh, um, uh, the Global AIDS uh, Coordination Headquarters were vacant. 89% of major positions overseas were filled on an acting basis. I understand that you are working on filling those positions, and I appreciate your efforts to do so. But what impact, if any, has staffing vacancies had on program implementation, and what are we doing to mitigate those challenges? Thank you, <clears throat> Senator. Uh, when I came in uh, about nine months ago, uh, that issue, I read your, your, your report, and we've been working very actively and aggressively in that. Uh, out of the 90 vacancies that uh, I met, we have filled in uh, 34, 34 of them in, in nine months, which I believe is um, a, a, a remarkable or good progress. And I hope that we'll continue to work aggressively to fill in those positions because they have very direct consequences on uh, uh, morale, burnout, and the ability to have work-life balance, which is so critical in our ability to continue to to, uh, to supporting countries, the 55 uh, partner countries that we are. The same issues uh, we see in the field, and that is a major focus of ours to continue to uh, work with uh, the partner countries, our programming at, in the countries to make sure that the vacancies are actually filled in a timely fashion. Uh, but my priority, again, was to fill in those headquarters positions aggressively as much as possible, and I think I'm very encouraged with it progress we've made so far. Okay, and then finally, in the course of briefings on the FY24 budget request, uh, it's been mentioned of an ambassador's fund. 
Can you tell me exactly what is the purpose of that? Are you familiar with it? Senator, I will need to check on that, then we'll get back to, get back to you. Okay. If you, if you could uh, inform the committee of, of what is the purpose of the Ambassador's Fund, how much money is currently in it, how have funds been used in past years, and how do you plan to use them for your priorities over the next five years, it would be helpful as we deal with the budget process. So, I would definitely uh, get back to you. Senator Cordon, it's gotten in the nick of time. <laughs> Thank you. I'll First, thank you very much for your service. We appreciate it very much. I want to follow up on Senator Booker's point uh, in regards to the benefits of PEPFAR being far beyond just dealing with, uh, with uh, uh, HIV AIDS. It, it, it builds up capacity, uh, healthcare infrastructure to deal with the challenges in the countries in which we're operating in. It's been transformational and it's been extremely successful. So we're very proud of that part of it. We know that the PEPFAR strategy notes that uh, there is a goal of 70% of the resources going for local localization. Uh, Senator Haggerty and I have held a subcommittee hearing dealing with USAID and localization, building up local capacity. But we also understand there is challenges in meeting that particular commitment. Can you just share with us your commitment to make sure that we tried, that we reach that goal, that we do make a significant commitment to making sure the resources are going locally so that it not only deals with the direct challenges of PEPFAR, but it, it provides the type of infrastructure in the country to deal with the healthcare challenges. Thank you, Senator. I think um, when I came on board about nine months ago, that was one of my top priorities, priority of sustainability. And I see that in the lens, the light of uh, programmatic sustainability, that we will be able to sustain these programs if we have many more uh, local partners that are capable, that are capable. So I've taken a very uh, uh, hard look at that, and what I'm currently doing now is to make sure that we do not only get to 70%, but we get to 70% with the strong local partners that have good uh, physical systems, procurement systems, governance as, as a whole. So I'm currently developing a tools that will be used in assessing all our local partners, identifying gaps that we need to apply ourselves to and support them. Uh, not punish them, but support them so that it can build that capacity in a sustained manner, which is a top priority for me uh, in doing that. At the same time, recognizing that we need to continue to have a mixture of those local partners and international partners to get us to 2030, because that is the ultimate goal we've set for ourselves. So, so I totally agree that there has to be capacity locally. We, don't, we want to make sure our resources are appropriately used. Completely agree with you on that. But many times it's used as an excuse because of the existing partners that we have trying to preserve their share of our foreign assistance. And therefore, we don't really build the type of local uh, capacity uh, because of the existing contracts that we have in country. How do you guard against that type of natural bias against bringing in new partners uh, that are sharing the, the resources? Thank you, Senator. That is exactly why I've decided to develop a tool that would truly tell us where using evidence and, and data that where we are with these partners. Say, for example, if we have 400 partners, where are they, where is the capacity so that the discussion and dis about 
the capacity doesn't exist or exists should be off the table. It's only through an evidence-based, systematic, and standardized process that we can be able to answer that question and provide you with the right answers there. So I'm committed to Will that Will you provide process. this committee with where you are on reaching that 70% goal and the challenges that you're having per country uh, as far as capacity building so that we understand the challenges you're confronting and perhaps can be your partner to expedite local capacity? Absolutely. Thank Senator, you. I will do that. Thank you, Senator Cardin. Uh, well, thank you, Dr. Kingasan, for your service, for your testimony here today. We may still call upon you as we re get to the final uh, reauthorization. There are a couple of pending questions you're going to get back to us on. And with the thanks of the committee, you're, you're excused at this point. Th th thank you, Senator. As Dr. Kingasan leaves the dais, let me uh, uh, begin to introduce our two uh, next witnesses. Uh, joining us virtually today from London, is Sir Elton John, a world-renowned singer-songwriter philanthropist. In 1992, Sir Elton established the Elton John AIDS Foundation, which today is the sixth largest AIDS funder globally. Through more than 3,000 projects in 90 countries, the foundation has helped save the lives of over 5 million people and raise awareness of HIV. Sir, Sir Elton has traveled extensively in Africa, where I was privileged to join him in February, Eastern Europe, and across the United States. He has spoken several times at the United Nations here in the Senate, using his platform to advocate for people living with or at risk of HIV. In 2022, Sir Elton was awarded the Humanitarian Medal by President Biden at the White House. In 1998, he was knighted by Queen Elizabeth II for his charitable achievements. We welcome him. Joining him on the panel here in Washington is Dr. Mark Dybul, a professor at Georgetown University Medical Center, where he serves as Chief Strategy Officer at the Center for Global Health Practice and Impact, Executive Chair of Platform Life Sciences, and CEO of Entian Biosciences. Dr. Dybul has worked on HIV and public health for more than 25 years as a clinician, scientist, teacher, and administrator. Dr. Dybul was appointed by President Bush as the second U.S. Global AIDS Coordinator in 2006, served in that capacity in 2009, has served as Executive Director of the Global Fund to Fight AIDS, Tuberculosis, and Malaria from 2013 to 2017. Welcome to both of our witnesses, and I'd ask Elton to uh, Please proceed with your testimony. Good morning, Chairman Menendez, Ranking Member Rush, and distinguished members of the committee. I'm delighted to join you today to wholeheartedly support your commitment to extending the life-saving work of the landmark PEPFAR program. I was humbled to have been part of your recent bipartisan fact-finding mission to South Africa to experience the awe-inspiring impact this program is having on the ground. It was an inspirational visit that shows the immense gratitude of the African people. I want to begin by thanking you for your continued focus on the global fight against AIDS. We are living in deeply troubled times with countless global challenges, all of which I know beckon your time and attention. Given that, I am boundlessly grateful for the bipartisan cooperation that has been the hallmark of PEPFAR for two decades now. While this effort was initially conceived by President Bush, it has been enthusiastically supported by four presidents 
and 10 Congresses and consistently championed by the generosity of the American people. As I testified to the Senate 21 years ago this week, what America does for itself has made it strong, but what America does for others has made it great. Bravo, my friends. There is no better symbol of American greatness than PEPFAR, and you should all be very proud of your extraordinary efforts. Before PEPFAR, much of Africa was in free fall. Infant child mortality was skyrocketing, life expectancy plummeting, and decades of development progress being rolled back. Families across the continent were walking miles to bring their loved ones to hospitals in wheelbarrows, where they were piled up three to a gurney in hallways, because every inch of the hospital was already full. In some communities, half of the adults were HIV positive. In others, 80% of pregnant, pregnant women were. A generation of young parents and workers were being wiped out, leaving grandparents and older siblings to raise millions of orphans. More than 30 million individuals were already HIV positive, but less than 50,000 in poor countries had access to life-saving drugs. GDP was dropping and coffin-making was the booming business of the day, including mountains of 24-inch coffins for babies. It was beyond bleak and the future projections even worse. In those dark days, there was little my AIDS Foundation could do for the millions suffering in secret because of the stigma of AIDS. In South Africa, where more than a quarter of a million people were dying of AIDS each year, we provided basic care to nearly a million people in hopes that they could at least die with dignity. We gave them food, clean water, bedding, blankets, aspirins, ointments, a hand, a prayer, and a plan for their children once they were gone. But those were the only tools we had at our disposal at the time. I looked into the eyes of way too many dying people begging for help and hope that was just not possible and available. For them, AIDS was a death sentence every time. And then came you, compassionate American leaders who decided that it was better to light a candle than to curse the darkness. Who decided that whatever a mother, whether a mother or child lived or died should not be left to a lottery or geography. And who decided that American generosity and genius could literally change not just the course of the pandemic, but the course of history. And it has. Thanks to PEPFAR, horror finally gave way to hope. And treatment became available and people all of a sudden living with HIV literally rose out of their hospital beds and went home to resume their lives and livelihoods. In the 20 years since, PEPFAR has saved 25 million lives, more than twice the number of people living in New Jersey and Idaho. That's a lot of lives. And AIDS deaths have been cut by 60% and new HIV infections by more than half. Hundreds of thousands of doctors, nurses and community health workers have been trained. Lab and surveillance systems have been established and community-based organizations and mobile clinics have been created to bring essential prevention treatment and support services closer to the people in need. Part of PEPFAR's, PEPFAR's power was demonstrating the art of the possible. Nelson Mandela often said, they all say it's impossible until it's done. And that's true for PEPFAR. Many said we could never provide life-saving treatment in Africa. It was too compli complicated and too expensive. But PEPFAR proved that was nonsense. And now million, millions of people, 20 million people in, in Africa are being supported on treatment. In, 
six million people in South Africa alone um, and mostly paid for by their own government. As a result, life expectancy is up by 12 years in South Africa, 20 years in Zambia. And the PEPFAR platform has not only transformed HIV into a chronic disease for tens of millions, it has been leveraged to fight COVID and made countries far better prefer, prepared for whatever viral nightmare comes next. This is great news and a tribute to American leadership, persistence and strategic investment. But we are not done yet. According to UNAIDS, our progress is faltering as one person with AIDS dies and three new people become infected with HIV every minute. While AIDS deaths and new infections are falling for most age groups, they remain on the rise for young people between the ages of 15 to 24, particularly young women and girls. And this is especially concerning in Africa, where the average age is 18 and where AIDS remains the leading cause of death among teens. For young people who are not yet born during the horrors of AIDS, they need a wake-up call, accurate information, and the power to use it. In South Africa, my AIDS foundations have partnered with digital platforms to reach young people where they are, on their smartphones, with relatable information and services that resonate with them. 20,000 have joined the platform in the first month, and they expect 100,000 in three months, just in South Africa. In Kenya, we are working with the first drone delivery company that enables young people um, with cell phones to order affordable medicine and supplies and receive them within one hour. These innovations not only engage and empower young people, they save both money and lives. In conclusion, you should be rightfully proud of what you've created and the impact it has had and is still having. We have the tools and we need to turn the tide and increasingly national leadership, capacity and ingenuity are taking what is good and making better and more sustainable. But we need to keep our foot on the accelerator. We've come so far in such a short time relatively. By extending PEPFAR for another five years and fully funding it, together we can continue the march towards ending AIDS for everyone everywhere and leave no one behind. Thank you so much for all you do. Uh, I give you so much love from United Kingdom. Thank you. Well, thank you, Selton. Let me return the, the compliment. Thank you for what you have done. Um, some people use their fame in a way that only inures to themselves. Others use their fame in a way that saves the lives of others. And in your case, that has certainly been the case. So thank you for what you've done. Dr. Dybul. Chairman Menendez, Ranking Member Rish, and distinguished members of the committee, thank you for the privilege to be before this body again to discuss the reauthorization of PEPFAR, which has been called, and I believe in fact is, the most successful global health program in history. Thank you for the, to the members and staff who have provided steadfast support in a bipartisan way for two decades. Ambassador Kangasong and Elton have provided you with the breathtaking data on, life, on the life-saving impact of PEPFAR. I'd like to spend a few moments focusing on other lasting legacies, including the diplomatic benefit from villages to state houses, health system strengthening, and enhanced health security. In 2006, when I was the US Global AIDS Coordinator, I was fortunate to visit Axum, Ethiopia, what is believed to be the birthplace of Christianity in Africa. At dawn, with the mist over the, the town, which blocked the electrical wires, it looked as it might have centuries ago, 
Local farmers were winding through the streets with donkey-drawn carriages. The spires of the churches peeked through the haze. Bells rang all to prayers and the market. We were met at the local clinic by the director and his team. Now, in a town that small, the director of the clinic's an elder, a very important person in the village. He kept referring to PEPFAR. I was a little bit cranky from not sleeping uh, for a couple of days. And so I asked him, what does PEPFAR mean? His answer knocked me over. He said, PEPFAR means the American people care about us. The American people care about us. That wonderful phrase captured the sentiments I've heard from nearly every corner of Africa. Sentiments that have grown with every life saved and as individuals, families, communities, and nations have moved from total despair to the hope for the future. Now, hope is not just a matter of faith or a good feeling. It awakens a lost desire to find a job, go to school, feed your family, care for your community. It is, in fact, the basis of economic growth and the development of markets for US goods and services. Indeed, prior to COVID, Africa as a region had the second fastest growing economy in the world. Ambassador Kangasong noted the positive impact of PEPFAR on GDP. However, it's also a diplomatic benefit. Senators Frisch and Daschle, who were majority and minority leaders when PEPFAR was first authorized, led an assessment of the Bipartisan Policy Center on the impact of of PEPFAR on the perceptions of the United States in Sub-Saharan Africa. In PEPFAR-supported countries, 68% of respondents had a positive view of our country, compared to only 46% in non-PEPFAR-supported countries. In fact, many African countries have a higher view of the United States than the United States. Those results could be in part due not only to the direct impact of HIV, on, on programs, but also because of the broader health system strengthening benefits of PEPFAR. Treatment and prevention of HIV is lifelong, requiring well-trained health providers, including community health workers, pharmacists and pharmacies, lab technicians and laboratories, logistics supply chains, communication systems, and much more. These systems are public but also private, including the faith community. Now, at the beginning, because of stigma and discrimination, many of these services were provided in separate locations. However, over time, they become integrated. They are in one place. So doctors, nurses, lab techs, pharmacists, community healthcare workers, and all the support systems are there for HIV, but also for non-HIV. For that reason, it's not surprising that studies have shown that PEPFAR is associated with a significant improvement in six out of seven key indicators of maternal and child health, including reducing rates of mortality for women and children and childhood immunization. The power of improved health system was clearly demonstrated during the height of the COVID pandemic has been, as has been discussed. PEPFAR systems were used to respond to the pandemic and Africa would have had a difficult time without it. As a former executive director of the Global Fund to Fight AIDS, TB, and Malaria, which as you know is also authorized by the legislation, I'd like to thank the committee for your support for that program as well. The 33% cap there ensures that the American people are not the only taxpayers supporting the response to the pandemic. The Global Fund plays a key and complementary role and as, a, as our engagement in it also helps us diplomatically by being involved multilaterally. It's been an extraordinary 20 years. PEPFAR is often compared to the Marshall Plan. Without exaggeration, given what you've heard from Elton and Ambassador Kangasong about the ravages of HIV in Africa, 
As this committee knows, it is now a world, it, we are now in a worldwide struggle to ensure that democracy and the global economy thrives. While we must lead, we also need allies, including in Africa where democracy is threatened and where we have lost ground as the number one trading partner. Clearly PEPFAR is not sufficient, but after nearly a quarter century of working with, the, with Africans at all levels, the wisdom of the words from Axum 15 years ago ring truer than ever. PEPFAR means the American people care about Africans. People know what we stand for when we stand with them. With your continued support, untold millions of lives will continue to be lifted up and saved. Strengthened systems for health will occur and we will be in a better position to respond to future pandemics. And our values will flourish. That will be another remarkable legacy for this committee and the American people. Thank you for listening and I look forward to your question. Thank you, Dybul, uh, Dr. Dybul. Thank you both for your testimony. We'll go through a round of five-minute questions. Um, Sarah Elton, hopefully we, got you, we still have you online. Um, I had an opportunity to visit some of the sites supported by your foundation in South Africa. The foundation's work with youth has really been transformative. Uh, what are some of the unique challenges that are faced by adolescent boys and girls in assessing prevention, care, and treatment services. And from your experiences of the foundation, is there anything you can recommend that, that we need to do to overcome those challenges? Well, thank you, Senator. Um, most teens aren't connected to all the healthcare systems, and they think it's for old and sick people, basically, uh, and, and not for them. Um, as we do with all age groups, we need to work with young people to develop messages that are meaningful and relevant to them and engage youth where they already are, in this case, online, as well as sports, music, and other youth-focused events. There's no point in designing services that don't get used because they don't work for a particular group. They have a saying, nothing's for us without us. And that makes sense to me. It's so important that you engage the young youth, the youth of, um, of Africa, uh, with where they are, as I said, online, on their phones. It's the best way of getting to them. And they listen. It's been proven that when we do things like that, it li they listen. So that's what we're trying to do, um, is um, to get more programs out in the field that can get people on their phones, and then they, they talk to each other. And it, it helps just sort of get away, get rid of the stigma. And, and you know, whenever you talk about an issue, it doesn't seem as bad as it is, especially when you're your same age group. I remember many years ago that we went to uh, Cape Town and established the first helpline on uh, Cape Town University, where people who were afraid of saying they were HIV positive because of their families and the university, but actually we set up a helpline that um, they could phone other people and talk about their infections, and it was a great relief. So this is, it's, if you inform the young and give them a message for, um, and they can communicate with each other, it would be fantastic. Um, the most powerful two words for someone who's struggling or afraid is me too, and I know that firsthand. My foundation funded the program called Shandari in Zimbabwe. It means as I am. Youth living with HIV go on into their communities and connect with young people like them who need advice and HIV testing and treatment. The program has been recognized by the World Health Organization and UNICEF, funded by PEPFAR with a five-year Game Changer grant, scaled countrywide in Zimbabwe and replicated in nine other African countries. Young people are amazing. We just need to give them the tools to help them 
help each other. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. I saw some of those tools at work uh, when we were in South Africa. Dr. Diebel, the, the antidote that you shared in your testimony about hearing the clinic director in Axon, Ethiopia, saying PEPFAR means the American people care about us is incredibly powerful, um, especially as how uh, we discuss, uh, how we distinguish ourselves against strategic competitors around the world. Do you think we are effectively messaging PEPFAR as a program provided by the American people as a commitment to saving lives and ending this pandemic with no strings attached? Thank you, Mr. Chairman. It's an excellent question. I believe we're doing a great job, uh, but it could be better. And I think Ambassador Kangasong is the perfect person to deliver that message. He has heads of state on speed dial uh, from his role as, Africa, as head of Africa CDC leading the COVID response. He's known by ministers throughout the continent. It is well known, it is well understood, but I think we can do even better and Ambassador Kangasong will be able to deliver that for us. And it's absolutely essential because we are in a struggle and we need to show the American people's heart and our values, which PEPFAR does. Thank you. Senator Risch. Um, Dr. Uh, Dabo, uh, one of the things that we always struggle with up here is the bureaucracy. And you've been at this from the beginning and have a lot more experience than anybody in this room uh, probably on, uh, on that particular issue. So I want to ask you uh, your, your thoughts on how important it is to have a single accountable entity at the Department of State coordinating the activities of PEPFAR's Im implementing agencies, particularly as to USAID and CDC, which occasionally have differences. Could you, uh, the kindest way I can say it, could you uh, uh, comment on that, please? Yes, thank you, Senator Rich. I have to say, having had the job, it was is absolutely essential. So without a single responsible person who determines how the resources are allocated, it's, it's very difficult um, to move things. Um, that piece, now that was then, uh, we still need it, and it maintains the impact of the program. By running it through the State Department, it also contributes to what Chairman Menendez was talking about, because it's seen as part of the entire US government, not individual agencies. So that founding piece, which we kind of stumbled on, to be honest, uh, was absolutely essential to the success of PEPFAR. It remains essential to the success of PEPFAR. Well, thank you uh, uh, for that, and I assume that's advice as much as anything else. We'll uh, endeavor to follow that advice and uh, appreciate you uh, for, the, for the work you've done on this from the beginning. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, Senator Kane. Thank you, Mr. Chair, and uh, just add my congratulatory comments and thanks to Sir Elton for the passion and the work that you've done through your foundation using your, uh, your own reputation around the world to really advance, and we appreciate this. Dr. Bible, I want to ask questions of you that were similar to those that I asked the, the previous witness about the Latin American reality. Um, I'm the chairman of the Western Hemisphere subcommittee of this committee, and it, it just seems like often when we're in the public health space, we're sort of uh, not paying sufficient attention to Latin America, just using COVID as an example. The chair and I were advocating strongly that the administration really prioritize Latin America in terms of COVID vaccine distribution. And, and what we did was we did about 8% of our vaccine distribution to Latin America, 
about 8% of the global populations in Latin America, but 30% of deaths were in Latin America. And the migration of Latin America to the US back and forth also created a greater risk of public health um, infection transmission. And so we felt like those stats, those kind of facts on the ground really warranted a more robust allocation of Latin America. That was not the case. Uh, here, I'm troubled by the stats showing um, that while global infections are dropping by 32% from 2010 to 2021, and even infections in the Caribbean, thank goodness, are dropping in the mid to high 20s, the infection rate in Latin America is increasing by about 5%. Why is this happening and what more can we do to prioritize um, really going after this battle and succeeding in Latin America? It's an excellent question, Senator Kane, and it's one that I've struggled with both when I was at PEPFAR and then at the Global Fund, which has a fairly large presence in Latin America as well. And in fact, what you point out in the Caribbean, I think, is largely because of the engagement of PEPFAR, which has always been heavy in the Caribbean and less so in deeper Latin America. Brazil had a very strong program at the beginning, but then it collapsed a bit. Um, and I think what you're pointing to has a lot to do with the political instability we're seeing in Latin America and the shifts in governments and the shifts in, in prioritization, which used to focus more on health. It's complicated because there tend to be higher income countries, and so foreign assistance money is often not seen uh, or used in the same way. But as Ambassador Kangasong said, we can still play a role. And the role we can play is at the political level, but also at the higher systems level uh, and at the um, International Development Bank level to, to use our capacity to uh, support with fairly small amounts of money those community-based links that will reach the people in need. Um, also in Latin America, as in Africa, we've seen younger people forgetting about HIV because they don't see everyone dying anymore, and you're seeing marginalized groups, uh, for example, in the Amazon region that are affected. And so we, it, we can respond. It'll just be different because of the high-income nature of the countries, uh, but if we engage there, I think we can, show, we can see a difference as we've seen in the Caribbean. And I'll, I'll just say this and conclude. I know the chairman and I are both focused on this, that a number of the programs that we have, whether through USAID or other international accounts, put income limitations. And you can go to countries and they might have a high income under some median measure, and yet you find you know, deep and intense poverty and incredible isolation uh, in communities. And I, I worry sometimes that a that just taking a rough cut with a median income figure doesn't really do justice to needs, and particularly in our own region. I think there can, there's just so much good to be gained by the U.S. being more engaged, not less. And so I want to continue to work with my committee colleagues on that. But thank you for that answer, and I yield back, Mr. Chair. And thank you, Senator Kane. I share your concern. I think we are being locked out of a lot of opportunities. Uh, to help our southern neighbors and help ourselves in the context. And we look forward to working with you to see if we can find a better pathway forward. And, and I appreciate your focus on the hemisphere. Uh, Senator, Dr. Barrasso. Uh, thanks so much, uh, Mr. Chairman. Uh, uh, Sir Elton, thanks for all of your work on this. I know you've had bipartisan cooperation. I know you've been recently with Chris Coons and Lindsey Graham in, in our efforts on this. Could, could you talk a little bit about what's happening with private donors following COVID-19? Are you seeing any uh, 
decrease in the private donations to this effort here and given the current yeah. state of the economy and you know, what strategy do you have working with others to increase the funding? Well, I think, uh, thank you, Senator. I think we are seeing a decrease in private donors, um, which is, you know, dismaying. But, you know, there's a lot of other diseases around and sometimes AIDS falls into the background. Uh, we've had COVID to deal with. Um, but I'm confident that we can turn that around. Um, you know, um, that's why PEPFAR is really so important because when people see that this is working so well, um, I think the private donors will get back on board. We're doing everything we can to because we rely as a, as a foundation on private donors. Um, and so far, it really hasn't affected us so much as an organization, as an AIDS foundation, because I think we do really great work and people know that we are reliable. Um, but in general, we have to get people back on board. And that's why PEPFAR is the shining light in all of this. Um, and HIV is funding helps for COVID as well. I mean, it's just, it's a no brainer. So, you know, we just have to put our feet in the sand and say, right, this is going down at the moment, but we can put it back up. It hasn't affected the Elton John AIDS foundations, but it has affected funding in general. I think for every kind of charity or on health, regarding health. So um, am I optimistic? Well, I'm always optimistic, but it's because of you guys out there that I'm optimistic. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, for Dr. Dybul and then for Sarah Elton as well, just kind of looking forward the next five years, what do you see as some of the challenges plus opportunities for PEPFAR? Uh, thank you, Senator um, Barasa and Dr. Barasa uh, as a fellow physician. Um, the, op the challenges will be uh, uh, twofold, one, financial, uh, and secondly, lack of, lack of interest or shifting focus, other pandemics. However, the best way to respond to future pandemics is to fight current pandemics and build the capacity so that you have that surge capacity. And there's the opportunity. We actually have the opportunity to get people to focus on pandemics in a way that was move, we were moving away from, but COVID could bring us back to. Um, and, and that's where the opportunity is. The other opportunity, I think, relates to what was discussed earlier on localization. There, are en there is enormous talent capacity at the community level, which relates to the diplomatic benefit. We can actually reach to community level to shape hearts and minds and to introduce them again to the United States and our values, which are better values than the, what others are offering. So I think there's lots of opportunity for us uh, on multiple levels. Thank you, and Sherilton? Uh, I think stigma and discrimination um, shame stops progress. And this is what we're finding in America as well. Uh, we must stop this. Um, we, must, uh, we must, you know, get the opportunity in the hands of young people to stop this. But uh, stigma is always, you know, we have the medicine here to, to shut this disease down, uh, which is truly amazing. But it's the stigma that stops the progress and the shame base. Um, but as I say, I'm optimistic. And I think with young people, if you give young people uh, the, the gauntlet, they'll run with it. And criminalization of LGBT people affects progress as well. In certain countries, we mentioned Uganda earlier on in the, uh, in the, in the uh, forum. And uh, it's dismaying to see this. And it hinders not only people who have to go underground, but it's inhumane. And it, it, it will eventually hinder their economy and the global economy. And it's just a dead end situation. Um, 
as I say, I'm optimistic, but we've got, we have a lot of work to do. We, I mean, we're not just sitting here clapping our hands. We have a hell of a lot of work to do. But, you know, having seen how you guys today, uh, you senators have come together, I'm so moved by your enthusiasm, your commitment. Um, when you get a life force like PEPFAR, I think it's like that ball that came down in uh, Indiana Jones or Raiders of the, Ross, Raiders of the Lost Ark that came down. It's, in, it's an immovable force. And having seen what you uh, senators have to say, I call you guys, sorry, you senators have to say today and the intelligence and your commitment behind this, uh, this incredible uh, PEPFAR uh, organization that's done so much. I feel so moved and so moved to do even more than I am at this present moment in time. It, it's an inspirational thing, as I said in my speech before. Um, and I think together we can get rid of this. I really believe that, but we have a lot of work to do. And uh, you guys are doing a hell of a lot of work in the, and in the uh, background and you, you're very full of intelligent questions and you've done your homework. Now, if we do the homework together, um, we can stop it. We had, we actually can. Thank you for all you do. Thank you for your wonderful time and effort today. Well, thanks to both of you. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, Sir Elton, we've been called worse than you guys, so. Uh, <laughs> Senator Booker. <laughs> yeah, for the record, I'd like a Mother's Day card. I've been called mother so many times, followed by something else usually. <laughs> um, uh, Dr. Dybul, I appreciate all your leadership and work. Uh, Senator Menendez made a very insightful point about the efforts really uh, encouraging efforts to get a clean reauthorization. But if there were any changes in the program, is there anything that you would see that you would want to see that could help us to even improve our efforts? Thank you, Senator Booker. Um, I, you know, having been involved since the beginning and actually being one of the architects of the original plan you approved uh, in 2003, I don't think there, I think the 2008 reauthorization did everything that needed to be done. Um, and a clean reauthorization is fine. Report language around issues that are, are important to you help steer the administration. But I, as, as a piece of legislation, I don't think there's anything that needs to be changed in the legislation itself. Well, are there some things that concern you that, that uh, you hear people calling for that would be bad if they got into the, into the uh, reauthorization? Um, you always hear rumors in this town is, is, uh, is, is part of the, the job. Um, and so I, there are things out there you hear. I think the biggest risk uh, or danger is opening it up for a conversation, as the chairman mentioned, and the ranking member uh, endorsed, that we, we just keep relitigating the same things over and over again. Um, and the legislation as it is, is, is actually not just fine, it's excellent. It's, it's served well for 20 years. And um, you heard my concerns earlier about, uh, obviously, the effort with COVID, I think, educated a lot of people about how comorbidities uh, contribute to death. And obviously, that's the same thing with HIV and AIDS. Um, are, are there some of the uh, strategies that we're using um, to deal with other TB and other challenges that are going to help us with this effort? Definitely. And, you know, tuberculosis has actually been part of PEPFAR from the beginning because it's one of the leading causes of death. Um, but as, in Africa, as in the United States, people are living. We, people have now been on drugs for 20 years in Africa. They're in their 50s. Um, they have comorbid conditions. And that's the importance of the systems that have been built, the health systems that have been built. And again, I go back to this is a chronic disease. 
like heart disease, diabetes. It's not like tuberculosis or malaria. It, you have to take drugs your entire life. Prevention is a lifelong activity. You're at risk for HIV your entire life, so the behavioral issues and things that we have to deal with, with diabetes, hypertension, and other um, non-communicable diseases, as we call them, uh, actually, PEPFAR was built for that, and the systems were built for that because it's a chronic disease. And so I think the, the pieces are there, and we just need to use them, and I think we are using them. Countries are using them wisely as we move from isolated HIV programs to something that is, in fact, part of the health system itself. Sir Elton John mentioned uh, in a really um, tactical way about how you get to this new generation that's growing up when you do have people living for 50 years, not in an atmosphere where the fear sears into you a sense of urgency, and maybe the young people are not taking it um, as seriously as possible and meeting them where they are on social media and more. I was happy to hear uh, Sir Elton uh, and his focus on this. But there's another group that's uh, still uh, uh, causes concern for me um, that are younger, but they're young girls in, in particular, which I think uh, necessitates uh, other tactics as well. Could you mention some of those? Yes, in fact, PEPFAR and the Global Fund actually are deeply engaged there. There are structural issues related to young girls, uh, their menstrual period, for example, and how, what they have, do and don't have access to in schools that affects HIV. Uh, abuse, sexual abuse, is a major problem that leads to transmission of HIV uh, because the woman can't protect herself. And so that's where some of the new therapies, the long-acting injectables, for example, could allow women to prevent HIV as a prophylactic. So instead of taking pills prep, you can do an injectable that's, that will last for three months, which actually happens to match family planning injectables. And so there are a lot of things coming. And, but going back to the legislation, that can all be done within the current legislation. But dealing with young girls is a major issue, a structural issue. And there's been a lot of progress, but a lot more needs to be done. And it involves some medical intervention, but also behavioral interventions. There has been significant change. Uh, we have seen it. And the DREAMS program and other programs that the United States has supported help. But we have to take that bigger picture. It's not just medical, it has to do with societal and behavioral issues, uh, but it ha is changing and the United States has played a significant part in that change. Thank you very much to both of our witnesses. Mr. Chairman. Senator Van Hollen. Uh, thank you, uh, Mr. Chairman, and let me thank both of our witnesses uh, who are here today. And uh, I was um, honored to be part of a congressional delegation, uh, along with Senator Menendez, the chairman, uh, as well as uh, Senator Graham and other members of the committee uh, to South Africa to celebrate the 20th anniversary of the PEPFAR program, a program that more than any other public health program, I think, in history uh, has saved millions and millions of lives. Uh, so first to Sir Elton John, um, thank you for your leadership. Uh, it was good to have a chance to, to meet and talk with you and your team uh, during our visit uh, to South Africa. Uh, I've been bouncing between hearings, uh, so you may have covered this, but uh, as my, my friend uh, Senator Booker said, um, because of the success of the PEPFAR uh, program, you have the younger generation of South Africans and others around the world, younger generations, um, not seeing uh, AIDS, HIV as a death sentence, and, and that's a, a good thing. On the other hand, the question is making sure that we provide uh, those young people with the information they need uh, to get the help when they need it. And I know you've got 
uh, an active social media program going uh, through Facebook. Um, we talked about expanding that to other platforms as well, uh, like Instagram. Uh, so Sir Elton John, first, thank you. And then if you could just provide us an update on how, uh, how many young people are currently using the platform, what you see as the future of the platform. And I should say that we had a chance to meet with some of the young people who were using it while we were there. Uh, so it's off to a good start. How, how do you see the future of that social media program? Um, I'm very optimistic because um, God knows the internet is responsible for so many awful things, but it can also be responsible for so many wonderful things. And the wonderful thing it can do is we provide young people with information to stay healthy, services like HIV testing, treatment, prep, mental health services, and more. Um, and it's really important to get online services to young people where they need it, not they don't have to travel. So they need to, to get it locally and um, expanding programs across multiple countries um, and linked to health systems. Um, and it's going really, really well. I think we have hopefully nearly 100,000 people using this uh, now. And when we were in South Africa, about 30,000 were using it. So it's, it's coming along very well. And it's nice to see you, uh, see you again after our wonderful trip. But I think, you know, I, my adamant thing is use the internet to get to the young. The young are taking this up and they really is responding to the information and the, the, the fact that they can talk to each other online about it or on their phone. It's really, really important. And they are the future. They are our future, no matter what it is, whether it's HIV, the world or whatever. The young people are the ones that are going to take this forward. And they are responding to it. And that's a great sign. Well, well, thank you. I, as you said, the way to connect with uh, so many of these young people is um, to meet them where they are on social media. And uh, we, we know that uh, there's a huge take up of social media in South Africa and so many of these other countries. So, so thank you for all those efforts, uh, your continuing efforts. Uh, Dr. Diebold, you know, one of the, the goals of the um, HIV AIDS program, the PEPFAR program, has been to make it sustainable over time. And uh, we have wanted to work with governments uh, to transition more and more responsibility to those um, national uh, governments. Some partner countries have demonstrated both the political will um, as well as the, the capacity to take ownership of managing. Um, some of them have taken on a larger and larger share of the budgets uh, for administering the program. Uh, but other countries have not shown the political will nor uh, provided the budget support for the program. Can you talk about how we, we navigate that, how we uh, continue to support the countries that are, are trying to take responsibility, but also how we address those countries that have not? Uh, it's an excellent question, Senator, uh, and it's one that all international organizations struggle with. I think PEPFAR has probably done as well or better than any ever have, as you pointed out. For the countries that aren't moving, and here again I go back to, you know, Ambassador Kangasong will be the best global AIDS coordinator of any of us by far. Uh, he has the capacity, the contacts, the ability to move that in ways that I don't think any of the rest of us could. And part of that is from his time as Africa CDC director, but also before that um, when he was leading the laboratory effort uh, in Africa for PEPFAR. Um, it is a complex issue that involves political, but also ground top-level political, but also ground-up forcing, pushing. And we've been doing some of this work, uh, actually. PEPFAR has been doing this work to build that strong community push for health services 
to the government. And it's actually worked in Kenya, in Iswatini, and other places. We've seen governors double, triple their budgets because of the ground up pressure, not because of the external pressure. And so it, some of it is the political engagement, but it's also supporting those community groups, which goes back to some of the localization, that then puts pressure on the governments to step up healthcare because it's good politics for them. And I've had that conversation with heads of state. You know, I used to bore them to tears with statistics, and then I learned to start off saying, Health is good politics. They get that in a second, and then you can play that out. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And, and you mentioned uh, Dr. Uh, Nkengasong, and I'm sorry I was not able to make his testimony, but I know this is an area he's focused on, and uh, appreciate you know, your laying out the challenges and, uh, as well. But I think you hit it on the head, which is to make sure that leaders in those countries understand that this is a, a good thing for their public and a good thing uh, for their own politics as well. Thank you. Thank you. Senator Coons. Thank you, Chairman Menendez, Ranking Member Risch. Thank you, uh, Chairman Menendez, for the opportunity to travel with you uh, to Southern Africa and in particular to South Africa with Sir Elton John and Dr. Nkengasong to celebrate the 20th anniversary of this landmark program that has saved more than 25 million lives. Uh, I think the single best thing President Bush did, uh, I think something that's been sustained over um, presidencies and uh, majorities of both parties, uh, and I was just at a hearing with the administrator of USAID. Um, one of the significant um, portions of this year's budget request is to sustain and extend uh, our PEPFAR investment, our investment in transforming public health systems uh, around the developing world. Sir Elton John, it's uh, great to see you again. Uh, it was wonderful to get some time with you and to see the connection um, that you're able to create and sustain with young people and the services that your foundation is helping facilitate and scale um, for young people online uh, is a great investment and an encouraging story. If I could, uh, Mr. Dybul, I just would be interested, uh, I have missed most of the hearing and I suspect you've covered this, um, what you think are the areas where we most need to invest in innovation, uh, in policy, as many countries are transitioning towards epidemic control, um, we need to better understand what our sustained investment in PEPFAR will accomplish and what are the key challenges to moving towards an AIDS-free generation? Uh, thank you, Senator Coons. Um, in terms of innovation, there are many areas of innovation. There's scientific innovation, for example, the long-acting antivirals that I mentioned, which could be prophylactic, but also a treatment, potentially. Um, better diagnostics, local diagnostics, so people can be diagnosed and treated rapidly, which we think that would then reduce the transmission. But the innovation that we really need relates to localization, which I'm sure came up in your conversation with Administrator Power. Um, reaching communities and sustaining those communities, funding those communities, the faith communities, the community-based organizations that will not only enhance our ability to reach those most at risk, because that's where they are in the communities, but will also then give us the ability to detect and respond to the next pandemic threat. So the innovation, some of that's technological and how people connect with each other, but some of it's just human to human uh, innovation. And, and this is a fundamental area. Most of the innovation that we've seen in PEPFAR, in Global Fund and other uh, development programs comes from the individuals. We can say go do X, Y, or Z. They figure out in a setting with almost no resources how to make that work. And supporting that innovation will do two things. One, lead to greater success, and two, provide that ground of pressure for change that will not only be related to health, but democratization and many other things. The challenges will be financing. The challenges will be uh, distraction 
from to other things, and the challenge will be global competition for whose voice are they listening to. And I think the United States is well positioned, and PEPFAR has put us in a position to be able to do that extraordinarily well. Last question, if I might. Just uh, I just spent several days uh, at a retreat looking at nutrition and food security in particular. Um, I assume there are overlaps. Dr. Nkengasong may agree. Um, because those who are immunocompromised, those who are most at risk of infection, those who are living uh, with HIV AIDS, um, also need um, sustained high-quality food and nutrition. Um, there is a food-as-medicine movement um, that I've been trying to better understand, and this is one population or one area of focus, um, those who are at risk, um, where I think our work in strengthening food systems can learn a lot from the groundbreaking work that PEPFAR has done in strengthening and transforming public health systems, particularly in rural communities, particularly in communities where food security is also aligned with being at risk for new infections. So I look forward to staying in touch. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, for um, allowing me to question here at the very end. And again, uh, to both Sir Elton John and to Dr. Nkengasong, thank you um, for your engagement and leadership in this area. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, Senator Coons. Thank you for your work, uh, particularly on the Appropriations Committee. It is incredibly important. Uh, I want to thank our witnesses for appearing before the committee and for speaking with such knowledge and passion about PEPFAR and the fight against HIV-AIDS. I think it's appropriate to recognize uh, President George W. Bush uh, for his leadership uh, and vision uh, over 20 years ago. Some may not have thought that it would be possible to achieve what we achieved today, but it was his leadership at that time uh, that began us on this course, so it's appropriate and fitting to recognize it. I think we can all agree that PEPFAR shows the extraordinary power of American determination, compassion, and ingenuity marshaled for the purpose of making the world a better place. I look forward to working with my colleagues across Congress, with the administration, with experts and advocates to ensure that PEPFAR is equipped to continue its mission to end the HIV-AIDS epidemic. I ask unanimous consent at this time to enter testimony for the hearing record from former Global AIDS Coordinator, Dr. Eric Goosby, and founding director of Rutgers Global Health Institute, Dr. Richard Marlink, and ask that it appear immediately after the testimony offered by our witnesses on our second panel, without objection, so ordered. Sir Elton, we wish you good luck on your world tour. Uh, I know it'll be a smash. Uh, and thank you again uh, for joining us virtually from across the pond. Uh, Dr. Dybal, thank you for your extraordinary leadership over this period of time. The record for this hearing will remain open until the close of business on Thursday, April 20th. Please ensure that questions for the record are submitted no later than that date. And with that, and with the thanks of the committee, this hearing is adjourned.